You're listening to Tara Lynn's A Geek Saga Podcast. This episode features audio from a discussion panel that was recorded at DragonCon 2019. I'm going to get started while, while we're looking into this. It's, I mean, I think it sounds like something's on, but again, I could just be loud. Um, thank you guys for coming out to Apocalyptic, bleh, apocalyptic Psych. That is a mouthful. 101, uh, coping with PTSD and other mental illnesses in literature. Um, my name is... Your name is... Why am I doing what's up? That's fine. We'll we'll do without. <laughs> no, 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 Now, now they're definitely on. Uh, my name is Tara. I'm going to be the moderator. Um, I am a podcaster, webcaster. Uh, actually, Becca and I here do a Walking Dead webcast called the. I'm going to call it the Botching Dead right now because this is a family friendly panel. <laughs> That's not what it's really called. The Witching, <laughs> the the witching, witching Dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I also uh, am an author. One of my books is, uh, <clears throat> if I could talk, one of my books is a zombie like apocalypse novel. It's uh, called How to Start Living in the Zombie Apocalypse. So, um, and my panelists here today are F.T. Lukens and Becca. You guys want to talk about yourselves a little bit? Sure. Um, hi, I'm F.T. Lukens. I write uh, young adult um, sci-fi and urban fantasy. Um, and I in my day job um, when I'm not an author uh, or not at DragonCon. I work for the state of North Carolina. I work for, um, it's called a local management entity. uh, And we, I work with individuals that have intellectual and developmental disabilities and co-occurring mental illness. So this is right in my wheelhouse, um, this panel. Hi, I'm Becca. Um, Like Tara said, I'm on, uh, I'm a webcaster. Um, on the witching dead <laughs> um, and uh, so it was specifically for the walking dead and for the walking dead and everything else that will not end with that franchise um, and I also uh, write for an LGBT uh, website called Ikiari um, and I also uh, struggle with mental illness and PTSD as well yeah I guess I, I, I didn't say anything about that but um, I'm I'm Full disclosure, uh, do have some experience <laughs> with some of these mental illnesses, uh, including PTSD, generalized anxiety, and a few other things I'm I could get into. I'm bipolar. <laughs> it's a long list. So, so just, just to let you guys know, the way I usually run these things is we'll kind of get the conversation started like a little bit. And then um, I'm looking for questions from you guys, like input from you guys. So just, you know, be kind to one another, raise your hand. I will call on you, you know, just don't interrupt and uh, let us know if you have like specific questions or just thoughts in general that you would like us to uh, talk about. So um, since we are dealing with uh, this, you know, mental illnesses and whatnot in literature, what are some characters that you guys can think of whether it's because you identify with them or just they are the first ones who pop into your mind when somebody asks you about uh, characters that suffer from mental illness. Um, I know for me, Katniss Everdeen and Peter Millar, uh, Peter Millar from The Hunger Games. Honestly, everybody from The Hunger Games. Eleven <laughs> um, and Will from Stranger Things, uh, specifically. I was just looking at other things. Um, 
And that's, uh, and I guess by proxy, live more of my zombie uh, as well. Yeah, I think Katniss and PETA are probably the um, ones that I think about the most when I think about um, PTSD symptoms. Um, and in my own writing, um, my characters in, I, I wrote a sci-fi trilogy, um, and the characters in the sci-fi trilogy do uh, experience traumatic events, and, and the main character after that does um, suffer some dissociation and some anxiety around the PTSD from that uh, experience. So, um, and full disclosure, I also um, have uh, generalized anxiety disorder, depression, and PTSD from um, some experiences as well. So, but and and so I feel like in my own writing that a lot of those things that I experience have I put into those characters that have experienced traumatic events in, in that trilogy and then also in, a, in another urban fantasy that I've written. Do you think that do you think that it is easier or that it just shows better in your writing or in other authors writing if they have actually experienced these things versus just doing research on them? But do, you, do you think there's probably a visible difference there in, in terms of how well it is portrayed? I think there's an authentic, authentic, <laughs> you guys know what I'm trying to say, authentic. uh, authenticity um, to someone that is writing from their own experience. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and I know that not all PTSD is the same. Um, a lot of people experience uh, time lapses, memory, um, loss uh, after the traumatic event as well. So it's not, the PTSD is not one size fits all. PTSD comes in many forms. Um, you know, it could be a trigger, you know, anxiety shaking, um, or it could just be complete dissociation. Um, and I think that everybody who's, you know, that if you have not experienced that, then there will not be that genuine connection to the character who's experienced the traumatic event. Oh, I mean, to be honest, the first time I read Hunger Games was well before uh, I dealt with anything that gave me PTSD. So, um, you know, like reading it then and then like reading it again after the fact, like the, the it just it hit me like real hard, like right there, you know, um, that like, wow, I can when, I'm re when I was reading it the first time, you know, it, it was it was sad. Like, of course, this girl feels this way, and and you know, she went through these horrible things, and she. But like, it's it's a different experience when you actually like, you know, you know, like, mm -hmm. oh gosh, yeah, that now I understand, like, really understand. Yeah, we may not have killed a bunch of children, you know, we have fights to the death for you know Coralie and Snow, but um, <laughs> also Finnick Ladera is a really good one as well. Joanna yeah. Mason too. Um, Fennec especially because there's a lot of despondence there. Joanna is more of a, you know, complete denial dissociation. Um, and I know that they also touch on the Morphlings. Um, I don't know how many of y'all have actually read The Hunger Games, but the Morphlings, basically they hid until everybody else died in The Hunger Games. And then they self-medicated um, with Morphling, uh, which is uh, essentially morphine, um, just a strong painkiller. Uh, and they became addicted to it and it ruined their lives. Um, hey Mitch is another one too. He drinks um, to excess. He pretends he doesn't care about anything. Um, so I think that a lot of these characters, and especially with the Hunger Games, it always comes to my mind. Um, but those are some characters who have definitely experienced it, and they all show different signs of the PTSD and the anxiety um, and the depression that they've from the events that they've gone through. I was um, in a clinical supervision with my supervisor uh, before DragonCon, and I was talking to her about this panel and how I was excited to be on this panel and 
um, and and uh, we were talking a little bit about it, um, and she got really excited and leaned over to me and went, "Oh my God! Think of the substance use." Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a big strong protagonist. I drink all the time. I'm in the apocalypse. Uh, I got some news for you, my guy. Um. And like I said, if anybody has any thoughts or characters or anything that you'd want us to discuss, please just raise your hand. Uh, I, you know, we can talk at you for an hour, but that's not as fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I guess like my thing is like I read a lot, and um, but it's it's hard to like like Hunger Games comes to mind like immediately. I mean, you mentioned you know some Stranger Things, which technically this is like in this is supposed to be mental illness in literature, but well, it's a book now, so it's totally it's fine. It's fine now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, well, I mean, iZombie is a uh, comic. comic book. Um, Walking Dead also. By proxy, because she eats the brains of people who have experienced traumatic events. And so she, in turn, experiences that traumatic event. And it does impact her. Um, so that's kind of a nice third-person narrative that they took there with that. Yeah. Um, and they do it fairly well most of the time, too. I, yeah, they, definitely, for sure. A lot of, telling there's a lot stories. of heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of funny ones, too. Um, I'm working on a character, one of my main characters, and finds out at the end of the story that everything he believed in is completely wrong. He's, he's been living sort of in an alternate reality, it just blows his mind. And he has these issues that are going to lead into the next book. So along the lines of what you're saying as far as, um, you know, all these things that people are dealing with, the heaviness of this, do you find in any of your characters or characters that you read about that um, these can become positive things in their future. So yeah, they have this horrible disaster that happens to them, you know, and they have all these mental issues, but eventually they work through them and move on and maybe it creates an opportunity for something wonderful to happen. Or do most of the, the things we're talking about here kind of stick down into a, a dark and dire world? I mean, I, I think it it can go either way. It can absolutely go either way. I mean, the, and this this is not even from this isn't from something I read. This is from personal experience. Uh, when I was when I was younger, I I felt like the idea of mental illness was a weakness. Like I I was I was raised in a very conservative home, um, and so growing up and realizing that that's not the case, and then realizing well crap like. I'm actually struggling with these things, and and this is all like this is all I'm talking years and years and years ago that I went you know through this sort of like self realization. Um, like I still struggle with you know mental illness stuff, but like I feel like I am a better person, and that I am happier. You know, even even with the bad times, I'm happier with my life the way it is now. Like, and and I would not be in this place had I not gone through those struggles. So like. It, it it can take a lot to get to that point, but yeah, I mean, you absolutely at the end of a story, like it's possible and and not, you know, I don't think it's too like happy ending ish for somebody to be able to overcome. Um, now, I don't think mental illness just goes away, but there's a difference between. Uh, like just the constant struggle and reaching a point where, hey, like, I'm okay. You know, at least for right now, like like I've reached this point, and I might still have depression, I might still have PTSD, but I can you know, kind of be happy with my life. It's, it's kind of the difference between surviving and thriving. 
Um, so, and, and as, the, as the writer of this character, um, you have the opportunity to um, have a hopeful ending, if you would like. Um, and, you know, your, your character is still going to um, have symptoms of their mental illness, and they're going to, um, you know, be uh, manifest in different ways. Um, and then it's, it's up to, you know, that character and, and you as the writer to determine how you want to manage that, if they're going to manage that, if they're going to. Um, I put my characters in therapy at the end of the trilogy um, because I knew that that's what they would need um, to be able to have a, a hopeful ending for them. Um, but that, again, like, it, it's up to you as the writer um, uh, if you want to have a uh, hopeful ending for that individual. Um, and, and there's something to be said about for folks that um, were seeking representation um, for individuals that are managing their mental illnesses to have those types of stories, to see the struggle, but then have the hope at the end. Mm -hmm. um, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, um, Becca, you, I, did you want to, yeah. you look like you wanted to say I, something. I always say that uh, mental illness is, uh, it explains it, but it doesn't excuse it. Uh, so, you know, characters suffering from mental illness, yes, you have the Joker, who people romanticize, who is an absolutely reprehensible character. Um, there's nothing romantic about him at all. You know, mental illness should never be romanticized. And people like to do that. And um, in literature, they like the manic pixie dream girl who needs to be saved. They like, you know, the sad boy who needs redemption. And, um, and I'm tired of people romanticizing that mental illness in order to get people through a relationship or to fix them. Um, but, sorry. Yeah, that's just, that's just my, like, like with, the whole Joker, <laughs> with the whole Joker thing. Um, you know, like... Yeah. Well, bringing it back to, to the, the idea that, like, um, people with mental illness are, are going to be, like, the perpetrators of, of violence. Oh, okay. Like, I mean, no, I, I get why you went there, because the yeah. Joker, the Joker, that's just that's just an entirely other <laughs> story. Um, but, I, I mean, yeah, and I think, like, a lot of that comes from just... I mean, honestly, I, I, I don't know the people who have written these, you know, characters like that. Uh, but I can't imagine, uh, I, can, I personally can't imagine writing a character and being like, this. okay, this bad guy has um, PTSD and also is going to go around murdering everybody. Like, and, and, and you're right, like, it's, it's, in real life, that's actually not the way it is. People with mental illness are, like, like rarely the ones who are... Uh, going on these sprees so and that's why it's so important to have positive representation um, because for every joker um, we need to have a, a positive representation of, of someone um, because you know if that's all anyone sees is oh wow that joker 
you know, um, not only ill and killing folks, that's what mentally ill people do. Um, it's, it's really easy to equate that um, when you don't have the other positive representations in media. Um, going back to your don't romanticize mental illness, are there any other hard don'ts you have for writing characters with mental illness? <laughs> oh, hard don'ts? I would say not. I would be careful of, of saying the word cure and having a relationship cure them. I've seen that a lot. Um, and, I, and that's not a positive, <laughs> I guess, stereotype or representation. Um, you are not your own illness, you are just you. Yeah. Exactly, yes. And people who sit down and typewrite you as that illness, blah, 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 can kiss mine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like again, like the the don't don't um, the the good don't that we already were discussing even before the romanticization. Romanticism. I can't type. I can't talk to. It. It's Sunday. It is Sunday of Dragon Con, y'all. <laughs> um, you know, don't don't romanticize it. Don't make you know just that the automatic you know the mental mentally ill character is going to be the violent one um they're they're really cure there's no such thing as a cure but sure as hell isn't going to be a relationship or a love story um don't use mental illness as a personality quirk yes Um, like manic pick the whole manic manic pixie thing back to that you know do not use it as a personality trait just somebody that makes somebody cute and endearing and it goes back to the romanticizing you know like um like i deal with some really deep demons and i have some friends who do as well and they are typecast as manic pixie dream girls and they hate it um you know because we're more than our mental illnesses and it's especially with the women um with female characters who are um who have the manic pixie dream girl there are some manic pixie dream boys as well um, but yeah, that's definitely a hard don't. Don't don't turn it into a personality. Don't turn it into like, you know, this. Um, they're more yeah. than that. They're more yeah. than they're, they're more exactly than the collection of their yes. symptoms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, would you say that a good literature trait would be perseverance? Like, I know for mental illness, having mental illness myself, one of the things that has always pushed me through it is you have to persevere, you have to push past it, and you always go to be a better person. Like mental illnesses, yes, you struggle with them, but they can also push you push you to be more understanding and sympathetic, empathetic. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. No, no, yeah, no, that's like, you're right. I, I do think that, I, and I don't, I don't wanna say like, oh, you have to have experienced these things in order to, you know, be a good person like like honestly I would I would hate for everybody to have to go through some of the things that that I've dealt with but like um but yeah it it, the idea of perseverance is definitely I mean and honestly it kind of comes back to no there's there's no cure you're not gonna your your mental illness is not just gonna disappear but um yeah if you if you if you stick things through and and I mean get help you know and and persevere then yeah Mental illness, not just mental illness. I mean, obviously, you can have it otherwise. But um, one of my favorite traits in a character is perseverance because a lot of characters suffer some hard things during their storylines. 
and perseverance is just a big trait that there wouldn't be a story if they died at the end. And I think perseverance is a great trait for someone to have, but I also just want to remind everybody that, you know, folks relapse, folks have harder times, they, they can be getting better and then, and then go back and then get better again, you know, um, and uh, it's okay to fail. Um, it's okay to be kind to yourself. Um, so if you're, and, and I think for writing as being an author, that, that sometimes, you know, folks are like, you've got to write every day and you've got to push yourself to get those words in and you've got to work really hard to get that novel done. And sometimes I don't want to because I don't feel good or I have too much anxiety about a scene I want to write and it's, it's hard for me. And, and so I have to be kind to myself and go, you know, okay, today is not going to be a 2,000-word day. It's going to be a five-word day, um, and that's okay. I mean, shoot, honestly, I've had, I've had months that were zero-word months, month, I've month had after some of those month recently after month. Two. <laughs> <laughs> two or three years. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, this is a slight pivot, it's more related to um, uh, storylines in which people are collectively experiencing trauma, and I'm referring to a specific book of mine that just comes to mind. It's an older novel, if anybody's read it, it's called On the Beach by Neville Shute. Um, it's like a classic, like, you your ball kind of situation. And I think that it's really relevant for this topic because it covers a um, variety of ways that people deal with impending death. Um, so it's pretty tragic. It's not a feel-good novel, but it's like really, it's really compassionate and beautifully done. And it showcases a variety of expressions of how people respond. And some of them were things I couldn't anticipate. So some of them were like people choose to just be in denial and just go about life as usual. Some people go into substance abuse, like you mentioned, um, to just numb themselves through the experience. And uh, one of the expressions that I didn't expect was just recklessness. Like there's a whole scene in there where people are just completely mm -hmm. flipping with their lives mm -hmm. and totally reckless. And there's this crazy scene that I will not spoil for you. Um, <laughs> but uh, the recklessness is something that I just thought I'd throw out there too. And um, kind of in that vein, you're talking about the recklessness, um, the 100. Uh, there's, uh, there's oh, that one. is, and I would love to talk more about the 100 because there's so many characters that deal with different mental illnesses. There's one character in particular which I'm trying not to spoil right now, but Jasper. Jasper, and yeah. he, um, you know, he has he's lost everything and he is ready to die, and he is just doing every single thing in his power to die. Um, and his friends keep pulling him back from the edge, but he is just completely. You know, he has no self-preservation instincts at all. So I, I totally understand what you're talking about. Jasper is a really good example. I completely yeah. forgot about him, but um, he is a really good example of, like she said, just uh, he, he reached a point to where he decided that he was just kind of done and everything he could throw himself into, he did. And all of his, you know, everybody says that he's a coward um, by the way, you know, that, you know, that he achieved his ends and everything like that. And um. I think that is a, it's really dangerous. It's also really common, a very common theme that people who um, choose to end their own life are cowards, and that is not it at all. Um, and uh, I think that they address that pretty well in the 100, but the 100 is an excellent example of multiple traumas, multiple, um, and it's just, it's, it's an excellent show. It really is very great, but it has a great example of um, dealing with with guilt and PTSD and watching everybody you love die, watching your enemies die, your friends die, 
um, almost being killed, being captured, tortured. Um, you know, there's a lot in there. And the actors from the 100 um, are very vocal about uh, mental health and um, positivity with mental health as well. I know Bob Morley, who plays Bellamy, has very severe depression. Um, he calls it the black dog, and um, which is what Winston Churchill called his depression as well. Um, and uh, I know also that Lindsay Morgan, who plays Raven Reyes, she also is very outspoken about mental health, and she's a mental health advocate as well. Oh, and P.S. also, The 100 is based on books, so we're not totally off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I did think of two others um, while we were talking. Um, uh, characters is Klaus from the Umbrella Academy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then um, Lucas from The Haunting at Hill House. Is that the name of that, that uh, Netflix show? Yeah, those were two that, um, once I mentioned substance use, I was like, oh, yeah, Klaus. Um. <laughs> that was truly heartbreaking. Klaus yeah. was just... He is my favorite too. I, I enjoy him a lot. Yes, yes. Do you have any tips for writing uh, about people in leadership roles with mental illness that might think that they need to put their mental illness to the side to help everyone else first? Like any tips in how to write? I mean, Tara and I know nothing about speaking this from at personal all. experience. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, the thing is, like, and. and it depends on it depends on somebody's personality. That is actually the type of person I am. Like uh, I, I set aside my my needs, um, and honestly, like I, I run I run a convention. I run a Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire convention, and uh, just be, because I do that, there's kind of there's no off switch um, <clears throat> in terms of my insanely busy life. And and I, when you're in like a position of power. Uh, putting that in quotes because I, I don't really like to think of my position as that but like when you're in a leadership position or a position of power um, yeah you, you 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 need to be able to like like people need to be able to take time for themselves but you can't always so and and it might not I mean this is kind of tangential but um, I'm a mom that's a lot <laughs> of responsibility right there um, and I was thinking a lot with like being a mom you kind of have to yeah, you have to compartmentalize um, sometimes and, and be like, oh, my God, I don't want to drive to this freaking dance recital, but I'm going to um, because my daughter's in it and she's a little ballerina and I'm going to go watch. Um, and, you know, and, and after you do that, though, you know, you got to take some time for, your, for yourself. So in writing that, I would just suggest that, you know, you can have your, your leader do what they need to do, but also recognize that it might be difficult for them. There might be some symptom management that has to come after. Um, and then always, you know, if you can, I'm a huge advocate of self-care. So um, <laughs> if, if they have a uh, like ritual for their self-care or whatever that, that they do after, um, you, that would be a great something to incorporate into the, into the narrative. And it's, you know, self-care is not always a bubble bath. Sometimes self-care is literally crying yeah. and crying and crying and crying because it releases, you know, the buildup of, um, you know, all the, all the pain. All the stress. Um, and, and also, like, I, thinking about the leadership roles, especially in literature, I know that Clark um, from the 100 is one of those characters who, even though she's battling her own demon, she automatically always sets those aside, but they always come back to bite her in the butt. <laughs> um, and... Um, but, yeah, and I mean, and I've seen Tara, like, and I help with the convention, I've seen Tara completely just, my knees just, 
Like, so I, you know, I've seen it in action and it's people, people in charge need love too. <laughs> <laughs> and they need to, they need to give themselves love sometimes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I have two things. Um, like you, I was raised in a very conservative environment. So anytime I came forward with anything relating to mental illness, I was told, oh, you're just a teenager. Or, oh, you're making it up, blah, blah, blah. So do you think it's important to kind of include more mental illness in these books for people like me that are reading these books and you're like, oh, okay, so this is legitimate and that, you know, I should maybe look into it more. And do you think there's ways to incorporate um, people in books seeking out other ways? Because I feel like most of the books you read now, someone has a mental illness, they get all strong, they're like, oh, I figured this out all on my own. But like, let's be honest, like I don't know of a lot of people that can figure it out on their own. Uh, I mean, yes, no, it, it, it's absolutely important to have um, that, like this representation, like really any sort of diverse representation in literature is A++, but yeah, it, um, for it to be portrayed and to be portrayed with either from experience or with the proper research and, you know, like we were, after you mentioned earlier, the idea of like, there and, and you're saying it again it's you're not just going to get better forever and, and everything's perfect and everything's fine um necessarily usually almost always um so the the idea of like portraying um a relapse is i think would be a really really i, I and i can't think of anything where they show that i mean it, it, like hunger bringing it back to hunger games just because it's the easiest one to talk about like at the end of the story like katniss and peter are married and they have a kid right yeah, or kids children. and and like what she never wanted or whatever and it's like but i'm pretty sure and it's been a while since i've read it but i'm pretty sure there's also like a you know hey things aren't perfect she like has, she's, still she's yeah she still wakes yeah. up screaming but peter is always there to hold her um and he also has his nightmares as well yeah, so, so it, like, like it, but it's, it's a very brief, like, you know, kind of mention, mentioned in passing thing, and, and I think it's, like, we're supposed to focus on the fact that they're married and have children and are, are living fine lives and everything. Um, she, I mean, but she, she does. She does very specifically say that things are still hard. Yeah. And, um, you know, so they, it's kind of a bittersweet ending. You know, she has to live with what, have, both of them have to live with what, what they did and what happened. Um you know what, what she says they're much worse games to play um so you know she's going to struggle with those demons but you know she and peter are going to be helping each other along um with, with love and empathy and i think it's an important point that that you know your characters can have allies um yeah. that they're going to be there for them um and that can um you know be be the person they go to um and and talk with and and you know, be a positive person in their lives because, you know, y'all said that growing up that you might not have had that person. Um, and I think having a person in fiction and having a representation of that person that's a safe space um, would actually, you know, for your readers, they may be able to go then seek out their own safe space. As long as the safe space in the book is not um, someone who's completely, who is just 100% perfect good and you know it needs to be somebody who's real and struggles yeah, with their own person. because you know you cannot find you know a perfect person to you know to to hang on to because then that goes back to the romanticizing and the fixing and the um so you need to find you know a safe space person with real flaws like 
for example, like Tara is one of my safe spaces. She and I have been friends for a long time. You know, if I am having a bad day, I know I can always go to Tara and she can always come to me. Um, but yeah. But we're both like, we both clearly have our flaws. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, and the other thing is, yeah, I see. The other thing is, like, I, I think it's hard, especially in like post in like post apocalyptic literature specifically. Like, it's going to be hard, maybe, to write like a, an actual like a therapist in necessarily, um, but like you know, to, a good mentor character yeah. can work as uh, you know in the, in that sort of therapist role. And if it's done like again, if it's done right, either from experience or from proper research, um, definitely be very careful. Like especially if you are trying to write about something that you personally have not struggled with, find people to talk to who who have dealt with it you know, read not just wikis, you know, like go read some, some really like in-depth articles or, or novels where, you know, these char- like characters are dealing with similar things that you're trying to portray because like, just be very, very careful if you're writing something that you personally have not struggled with. Um, cause that, you know, it's, it's very easy to, to do something like to do it wrong, honestly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we had a question in the back. some distance between yourself and the manuscript you know you can write what you what you want and then go back and edit it maybe take a a month or two months or whatever between those two things um I actually have a lot of experience with that I was writing this sci-fi trilogy and I wrote the first book um and then after the first book um I had an had an accident where an individual grabbed my arm and they tore all the cartilage in my wrist and then I had to go have surgery and then I had to write the second book under a deadline with one hand and uh, had some um, PTSD symptoms after that. And then so this character ended up <laughs> experiencing everything I was experiencing at that time. Um, and the anger over the situation and the, the sadness and the pain, I mean, all of it was in there. Um, and sent it off under the deadline, got it in, sent it off, and my editor came back and was like, whoa. <laughs> Um, can we dial it back a little? <laughs> and I, I had to rewrite the first three chapters um, because I didn't give myself enough time to, and enough distance between it. Uh, so they, and, and I was lucky that my editors understood that um, and were great to work with me. But they did come back and they were like, we really need you to rewrite these first three chapters because they, it, it's, you know, you're starting off really heavy <laughs> and there's no, I mean, and it was also a craft issue because there was nowhere for the character to go. Um, so 
my my recommendation would be just to make sure that you give yourself enough time to do a really good edit and beta read and and do that before you start submitting it anywhere. <laughs> well, I mean, and also like as writers. Um, you know, we put ourselves into our characters a little bit, no matter what, uh, I think. Um, like, I, I can write some secondary characters, for sure, that, that don't have any sort of anything that has to do with me or my personality, but especially, like, main characters, and especially if they're women, it's really hard to not put any of yourself into a character. Um, I mean, there's there's exercises you can do as well if, if you're trying to, like, you know, nip it in the bud and not do it from the start. Um list like list things about yourself and just like literally like make a list and like post it at your desk like do not put this in this character <laughs> like this character doesn't need to have this this sort of like this exact sort of relationship just because I did like you know I, and it, it not just looks like it's the personality stuff is is the hardest because some sometimes it depends on how self-aware you as a person are too like there are things that that you know your friends might see in you that you don't see in yourself, but you might insert them into a character anyway, you know? Um, so like, that, and that's where like good beta readers and stuff come in as well. But yeah, honestly, like make, make a list of, of the things, you know, both things you like and don't like about yourself and like in a like, do not write <laughs> um, and just put it somewhere so that you can glance at it once in a while and make sure that you're not just writing yourself as a character again. <laughs> do we have... I thought I saw another hand up, but maybe I'm seeing things. Did anybody? Yes, yes. So I had a question because you guys were talking about substance abuse a minute ago. Um, and I think like one of the more famous examples in literature of substance abuse with both positive and negative effects would be like the use of spice and doom, where a lot of people, you know, it's definitely portrayed as people take this and it has these wonderful side effects, but it's also horrible to this entire planet and you might end up swimming a giant bat of it one day. And what's your opinion kind of on, um, I guess, both substance abuse and other mental illnesses being portrayed in both positive and negative ways? Well, I mean, I think like the the biggest the biggest thing is, um, and uh, of course, Dune being like sci-fi, you know, it's, it's, it's not like a it's not realistic in any way, so it's. I think it's a little easier to sort of write off like the abuse of of the spice than it is in like like with uh, Hamish in, in Hunger Games or Klaus in Umbrella Academy, um, where you had to be very very careful. Um, not to portray it as again like a quirky personality trait like oh her 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 this person drinks a lot like they're funny when they're drunk um <laughs> and that's that's all that it is and we're never like like I think it's it's important to to face the fact that there's you know it might it might be funny at first but eventually it, it does become abuse it's problematic <laughs> No, whenever you're just saying that, there's a group on Facebook, it's a tag group, and it says, sounds like romanticized alcoholism, but okay. Uh, <laughs> it's not cute. It's not funny. You know, I have friends who are severe alcoholics, and it's ruined their lives. I've had friends who are, you know, who have died because of opiates. Like, I'm, <laughs> like, you, you know, it, it's rough. It's very rough. And, you know, like, yeah, the spice, the spice is wonderful. <laughs> You know, in, in that regard. and um, But I don't, 
I feel like that creating something similar to Spice that does not have any like negative kind of side effects is still an abuse and it's still self-medicating through something like that. Um, you, you know, like if you go, if you, it's not like if you like go running, you know, as a form of, I guess you could be addicted to running. Tara. Um, but um, I think there's a dangerous line between using substance abuse positively. Um, but yeah, no, you're right, you're right though, Doom is not... Well, I mean, and, and that's, and that's the, that's, again, like, that's the issue. Like, we, when you, when you get, when you have, like, oh, I've got this, this thing, this drug, this, this food, whatever, you know, um, that, that makes me feel uh, better about myself, like, and maybe there's not that many bad side effects, but it's still, like, you really be careful with the self-medicate, the idea of, like, self-medicating, um, and, and not, proper self-medication where you're taking a prescribed medication that is actually helping you. <laughs> yes? Do you think, now that you mentioned the prescribed medicine, do you think there's a way, like, because this panel is usually apocalyptic, do you think there's a way to address characters who had access to that and then don't and they have to deal with that? Honestly, that is, like, probably one of my worst nightmares is is the yeah. idea that, like, we could actually end up in a post-apocalyptic society and I would not be able to get the proper medication. Like, not because I would do anything bad or whatever, but because I just, like, I, the way, like, the way I exist happens because I take medication on a daily basis. And there is actually an example of that in, um, well, it's, it's The Walking Dead, but I don't think it's in the comics. Um, it may just be in the show with Mika and Lizzie, um, and which one is the one that's crazy? Um, Mika, the older one, I think. The older one? Okay, well, she's, she's, she has bipolar disorder, and she's undiagnosed. She's, you know, she had medicine, um, but she was not able to take it, and she just is, like, a murdering little crazy person. Um, so I think that's kind of an example I think that when you when you think about those kinds of things, you would have to also think about the medical side. Like, okay, no one has access to pharmacies. How are people going to get their insulin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, antibiotics, um, you know, all that other kind of life-saving medicine um, that folks use on the daily. Um, and that's the same for any kind of, um, you know, a drug that's prescribed for symptoms of mental illness. So um, you could use you could think along the medical model of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, also, like, there's, there's, there's a lot of ways you could go with that because there's the idea of, like, withdrawal from certain medications. Oh like, yeah. I, not, not all of these medications, like, not, not all the medications that people take for different mental illnesses have really bad withdrawal side effects. But I've had, like, I've been on a couple that did, like, really And there's awesome. definitely some that you have to step down um, that you, you, you know, if you want to come off of it, you have to go from 20 mm-hmm. to 10 like to Xanax. 5. Xanax is one of those things. That uh, Celexa, Citalopram, those kinds of SSRIs, yeah. those kinds yeah. of things. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so sort of a recommendation based on that, if anyone knows the novel Fiend um, by Peter Svensson, it is, it's less to do directly with mental illness than it is very explicitly with addiction because it's about, it, the two central characters are people who are addicted to methamphetamines and a zombie apocalypse happens. Oh, and, wow. And what do they do, like, what are, for, for these two particular humans, how do their priorities change 
and how do they like navigate this world where the entire world's falling apart, but they're still addicted, so they're still like trying. And it's it's shocking to me actually that, that there's not more. Um, that, that, that it's hard to think up of, of examples of this, like people having to deal, like there, there's in, in po- there's always that, that storyline of like, oh, well, we, somebody's sick or somebody got hurt and we need antibiotics, but what about everything else? Like what about the, pre- I mean, insulin is something that, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, but they, people, like people would die like very soon because they could not get insulin. Um, you know, but I mean, shoot, honestly, I am like, almost legally blind without my contacts like I have I have glasses I can wear but like that's that's like I mean that too you know and and there's there's not I feel like there's there's there is a sort of a missing chunk of post-apocalyptic literature that where it's like people actually having to deal with these these little things that like I sure as heck think about them like I think about how much I miss pizza and coffee but I'd miss my contacts and my medications more I think yes um Going kind of with that, you have coping mechanisms that you have in the main, like now, but it's post-apocalyptic. Some post-apocalyptic people grew up in it, and some transition. So kind of going back to, we're used to medications. There's, you know, is it important to write in for characters who were before whatever end event happened, transitioning their coping mechanisms to how they deal with that, aka they might just they have impulse control issues and they just murder people, you know, <laughs> you know, but they have different things that go on with that on how you evolve the coping mechanisms. Do you break down or do you find something that brings you up? Those people that go from being leaders to scum, you know, you could be president and then you could be nothing and then vice versa, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I, I mean, honestly, the walking dead and, and I, like, I try to focus on comics more just because, you know, literature. Um, there's there's definitely, I think, some of that in, like, The Walking Dead. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys, like, characters with, like, coping mechanisms that evolve? Well, I, I mean, are you talking, like, generational? Like, these people were alive during the event, and then there was a generation that came after that. The, well, that's just an example because there's yeah. some people that never knew a time before, so their right. coping mechanisms are... Different, and mm-hmm. then you have ones that they relied on antidepressants and everything, and then they had to not. So, so you had to learn. There are coping mechanisms that can help with that, but it's yeah. um, humans are incredibly res- resilient. The human brain is incredibly resilient. Um, and I was doing some some research before this panel that um, that statistically, children that are under ten years old that experience a traumatic event don't develop it, symptoms of PTSD. Um, because children are, are really resilient. Um, and I think there, there is something to be said of generational trauma. Um, but I actually don't have an example of that um, that I can think of, y'all. Generational trauma. What I was just saying is, is your coping skills will have to adjust based on the situation yes. that you were in. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, yeah. And I'm I, like, I think that. I think that there's that it probably um, I, I I keep I'm thinking of actually like I keep thinking of The Walking Dead like uh, well I mean no I'm, even even like the the kids in in Walking Dead was it Fear of the Walking Dead recently like there, there's kids who were so little at the beginning of the whole zombie apocalypse thing that like you see the way like they're living their lives versus like maybe the kids who are a couple years older who 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 had like yeah. they remember that that 
they remember like the at least a little bit of life. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think like the walking dead does do that a little bit, but yeah, you're right. Like the, the, the idea of like somebody who has never known, I mean, I mean, honestly, like look at like real life. This isn't, this isn't coping mechanisms or whatever, but look at like, like me, I grew up, we didn't have internet in my house until I was like 16 or so, 15, 16. And, you know, I didn't have a cell phone. Um, I didn't have a cell phone in high school. I didn't have one for most of college. The one I did have for the end part of college was, there was no texting. You had like a hundred <laughs> minutes a year or something, you know what I mean? Like versus, uh, you know, someone 10 years younger than me who has literally never known life without the internet and the world at their fingertips, um, you know, and, and, and the way that we, they're different, different ways of thinking because of that, uh, different ways of living your, like, living your life because of that. And, and so I think that there's, way, there, there's ways to kind of look at, look at that. And it's obviously, obviously, like, you know, that's, I think there's ways to look at, like, like real life situations that are happening right now and say, okay, well, this is how different people think just because of this one thing, because this person had internet their entire life and this person didn't. And, and I, you know, I think there's ways to work that into, uh, to figure out, like, coping mechanisms or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm babbling right now, I think. I did have one of those phones in college, too. You could literally dial 911 and that's all you could do with it. And they were, like, this big. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. thought about that a little bit too that um you know being hyper vigilant in the middle of a zombie apocalypse is probably a good idea (laughs) (laughs) or you know and any kind of like uh you know complete government collapse um being paranoid um not trusting anybody (laughs) i imagine that uh adhd would probably be 
Oh a good gosh. one to have during like a like a zombie apocalypse type situation as well. I can multitask well. and I can, I can yeah. do remedial tasks. I can build bullets and bolt gunpowder. Uh, in the very very back, she had her hand. Yes, in. yes. Yeah, no, no, that's that's a really good point. And honestly, like that's that actually might be, it, you know, if you're looking for like little research things in terms of like, oh, you want to write something post-apocalyptic and you want to uh, like look back at, at traumatic events and, and the way people, you know, acted and reacted during and after them in real life. And I think that could be a good research, you know, option. There was a really good conversation, this is kind of off, there was a really good conversation about that in GLOW, in the last season of GLOW, um, that just came out about generational trauma in the, in the Holocaust. Coming out of a wrestling show about oh, the gorgeous yeah, yeah, ladies yeah. of wrestling, <laughs> but there was a really good conversation about that in there. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <coughs> going back to the, the ADHD zombie apocalypse, <laughs> <laughs> my, well, no, because I have ADHD, and my bag, um, I guess it depends on the way on, on the way it, it manifests itself you know like um, I know some people with ADHD uh, they're you know it's like the, the like lack of focus um, like for me it's hyper focusing so and again, that just goes back to the idea that like everybody's mental illness is different. Really. It, like there, there's there's no there's no there's no uh, pretty pretty package uh, mental illness that you know you can say I have this and mine you know my men, like my bipolar is the same exact as your bi- bipolar. Like that's we're people are just inherently different, obviously, and so there is no there's no stock mental illness. And it does, you know, like I was talking about hypervigilance, which is, a, um, you know, a, something that comes out of PTSD. Um, and it just means that your cortisol levels are higher and you have a more you have a tendency to go into fight, flight or freeze quicker than other folks. And if you freeze, you're dead uh, in a zombie apocalypse. So it really does depend on how that manifests. Do you do you fight? Do you run or do you freeze up and get eaten? Yes, you have a question. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a doctor by any means. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there would be 
weird connotations or something to, to removing the D in PTSD, but... I feel like the, the PTSD denotes um, something more chronic as well. So I think that the keeping the D there is important. And another thing I wanted to say really, really quick, um, you were talking about the don'ts with, like, don't do this. With the PTSD thing, um, uh, assault, um, especially towards women, um, is used as a plot device. Uh, for PTSD, for women to rise above, stop doing that. <laughs> stop yeah. it, please. There's more. A woman can, you know, have a mental illness without having been, you know, sexually, sex, the, the, sexually assaulted. Um, but I just wanted to yell that before I forgot. Yeah, PTSD comes from a lot of things. Yeah, a lot of that. things. A car accident. You know, like like is 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 one just or very watching, benign yeah, or example. Yeah, somebody die in front of you, or you know. Uh, yes. And what I, I'm a mental health practitioner. Oh. Um, and so what I wanted to include on that is part of the reason that they add the disorder to it is not so much because it's something that you can't move through, but for billing purposes. To be able to help <laughs> no, seriously. To be no, that's, that's a real to thing. Be able billing. To help clients, having that disorder on the end allows us to be able to help them and get them the help that they need. So even though it is more really just post-traumatic stress and the responses that are coming from it, they just slap the disorder on the end of it because whoever decided it was a good idea to put it together as such, slap the disorder on the end. Y'all don't know how much of mental health treatment and, and even just even medical treatment go, it boils down to billing codes. Yes. It, it's, it, it's really interesting if you ever want to uh, look up some really weird ICD-10 codes. There's things like hit in the face with a goose. Um, as a, as a, it's a real code. Um, so there, there's some really wild ones out there. Bitten by alligator. Yeah. They're... Assaulted with traffic code. All right. Oh well, <laughs> we have reached the, uh, the end of our hour. But... <laughs> On that note, thank you guys so much for coming. Thank this is this is a great much. discussion. You are a great audience. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your Dragon Con. Thank you for listening to Tara Lynn's A Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out my website, ageeksaga.com, or consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com backslash ageeksaga.